nice things. And so uh, we're not even going to have an opening theme uh, for today's show because for whatever reason, we just updated our broadcast software and everything broke. So uh, hopefully everyone can hear me and hopefully everyone can hear Alan. So if you're over on Discord or if you're on our live chat at Rumble, uh, please feel free to let us know that you guys can hear us and that everything's going well. Uh, Alan, if you want to say hello to everybody this morning. Hello. So, uh, for everybody who is tuned in, this is Wrong Think Radio. Uh, this is a two-hour live show that we do every week to bring you guys our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world and how all of it's going to be propaganda, how all of it's probably lies and bullshit, and really trying to feed through it. And it has been uh, a hell of a week. Uh, there's been a lot that's gone on, uh, and primarily, obviously, the big focus is what happened on Wednesday night. And that would be, you know... Everything from the GOP debate moving into the uh, interview of Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump, all of which are uh, absolutely, you know, interesting and fascinating, I would say. Uh, So there's a lot of opinions. Now, uh, Alan, you watched neither of them live, but you've seen some clips. What are your general impressions before I get into mine? My general impressions are seems that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy said a lot of things that I agree with. And there was also Mike, a bunch of people there, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, even Nikki Haley, that I was just very confused why they thought they had any right to be on that stage. Oh, that's fascinating. No. Huh. It's like, and to clarify that, I thought... Mike Pence is not going to be president. Chris Christie is not going to be president. Even Nikki Haley is probably not going to be president. Um, and it seems absolutely ludicrous to think Even that Nikki- any three of them would be. So the reason they were on that stage was either to provide a, almost to provide a counterpoint example of look at what the, look at what the establishment Republicans you hate has to say. It was pretty mm. much the reason maybe they were there. But I was just very confused why those people were taking up time in a debate where none of them really stood a chance. Unless, even even as vice president, I've heard the discussion, oh, this debate was really about who's going to be Trump's vice president, which I thought was a decent kind of explanation. But Mike Pence isn't going to be vice president again. Chris Christie certainly isn't going to be Trump's vice president. Maybe Nikki Haley. But I was just... I thought as the, um, unless it was a test, the only other thing I can think is debates with these people were a test to see, does the American electorate respond well to a reinvigoration of neoconism? (laughs) And I think the neocons were maybe very disappointed that uh, the country wasn't totally willing to go back to business as usual. Yeah, we saw a lot of really interesting stuff uh, kind of come out of this debate, and um, like, I'm not I'm not surprised at the uh, kind of popularity and focus that we saw from Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, that's really unsurprising, uh, just because yeah. you know I've I've sort of seen the image that he wants to curate, uh, sort of the focus that he wants for his campaign, uh, and the issues that uh, he believes are going to set him apart from others. And I would say a big part of that is uh, his aggression. Um, he is not 
<laughs> in I think it's actually provable uh, in examples of what we've seen uh, from a few things that he has said. Uh, he is very much taking the I am not a polished politician approach and watching yeah. people like kind of clutch their pearls over that, uh, whether it's the comments he made about Israel that he ended up having to walk back because uh, I don't know, he was worried that the Mossad might uh, assassinate him or the fact that he was going to get zero donors and potentially even the RNC uh, turning around and saying like, yeah, we're not even going to allow you on a ticket. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly right. what went down there, but it was such a stark difference um, in response to Vivek that uh, you have to imagine he was threatened <laughs> at some point. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, we did see some, we, we saw some good lines coming from uh, Ron DeSantis, something rare that I did not think I am Ron DeSantis, uh, where where I would say uh, he did well in speaking at this debate was he focused on Ron DeSantis. He talked okay. about what Ron DeSantis is going to do. Uh, and that was my big fear going into a debate with such a uh, prolific figure like Donald Trump. How does a candidate uh, go on to a debate stage, sell themselves to the American people when Donald Trump is polling so high and Donald Trump is, in fact, Donald Trump? I mean, it's a very difficult figure to juxtapose against, um, and the, but at the same time, appeal to Donald Trump's base. Right. And I think the only two people who did a decent job of that were Ron DeSantis and Vivek, and the polls uh, fleshed that out. Uh, those were the two people that there, there was no debate among anyone else on who won the debate as far as like having winners of that debate were it was those two men. Uh, it was Vivek and Ron DeSantis um, and some for different reasons. Now, I'm going to gauge this in a couple of different ways because I like the idea of giving an opinion on a Republican debate. As far as performance yeah. goes, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is the clear winner. His performance was yeah. fantastic, but and at the same time, I'm going I'm to say it this way because uh the way I'm gauging performance is number one, he, he got, he got a lot of speaking time and he was the center of attention. Vivek Ramaswamy had a very obvious strategy going into this debate and the strategy worked. I believe that Ramaswamy was able to 100% um, affect his strategy that he had when he walked onto that debate stage, which was, I'm going to set myself apart. I want to be a lightning rod and I am going to expose the kind of over emotional hyperbole of the establishment GOP. And in that vein, and I, I believe that that was his strategy in that vein, he was a hundred percent successful on that night, regardless of what any poll says or any fundraising numbers, that was Vivek's strategy going out there. And he 100% pulled it off. Um, and I'll get to another note on on Vivek as well. Ron DeSantis's strategy, uh, his performance was a little bit lower. There were certain points where I think he should have been as aggressive as Ramaswamy was, and he was not. Uh, I I think that there were. I think he should have been personally. I think he should have been more of a bully. And the reason why I say that is, seventy four million people voted for Donald Trump. Seventy four million people like what Donald Trump has to offer. There are certain aspects of Donald Trump that needs to be adopted to anybody who thinks that they can ever be president again. And at least 
the next several election cycles. And that is just like everybody in the 90s uh, Republican Party all wanted to sound like Ronald Reagan. Uh, We need candidates that have to understand what the appeal is of Donald Trump, regardless of their opinion of him. Uh, You know, it doesn't matter if you think he's good, bad or indifferent. The American people want somebody who's going to be feisty, who's going to fight and is not afraid to call people's bullshit out, regardless of what uh, color, like what color their uh, their their name is or what letters next to their name. They do not care about that. That was the big the big appeal of uh, Donald Trump, I think, in 2016 was he was as much a dick to the Republicans as he was to the Democrats and was able to encapsulate people's overall frustrations with the political climate in general, and that needs to continue to be a thing. I don't think that Ron DeSantis pulled that off very well in the debate um, because he opened him. And the reason why I say that is he opened himself up to the number one concern of a lot of people who support Trump, but like Ron DeSantis is there's always going to be this underlying concern of, but who does Ron DeSantis work for? Is he going to work for the American people? Like, you know, everybody feels that Donald Trump does. That's his big brand. Or is he going to be a guy who who capitulates to donors? I don't want someone who capitulates to the donor class. And when you seem a little sheepish, it gives that impression that you don't want to piss your donors off. Because like, if you're like Vivek, who are you making mad? Because it's not the voters. Does that make sense, Alan? Yeah. I'll take a pause for comment. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I think that people like Vivek and Trump seemingly have their finger on the pulse of a lot of American Republican voters, which is we have consistently had a set of demands and values that we wanted to see reflected in politics that we keep voting for, but keep not being delivered Mm -hmm. by the establishment GOP. And I think that's what leads people to look for candidates that look like they are outside the control of the establishment GOP. It's like, I want someone that's actually going to reduce immigration. I want someone that's actually going to fight against gun control. I want someone that's actually going to make changes in the country that I want to see happen because I no longer have faith that the GOP is going to do it because I by now see them as so complicit in making all of these problems that I don't like happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think after the George W. Bush presidency, watching how the supposedly conservative politicians and and through a lot of the Obama presidency, watching how these politicians that supposedly stood up for a certain set of values that we elected them on consistently deliver the opposite, I think a lot of people became very disenchanted with the Republican Party, rightfully so, and and that is what, that is a major factor that helped Trump get elected in 2016, Mm -hmm. and I think is going to continue to be a major factor for any Republican politician going forward, and I'm honestly actually very surprised that the Republican Party itself seems to be fighting back against that as hard as possible. They it seems like there should have been this acknowledgement of the MAGA movement or candidates like same with the Tea Party. Both of those things represented something the base dearly wanted. And instead of absorbing and adopting those ideas to reflect their own base, the Republican Party seems to have fought tooth and nail against making any of the policy changes that that 
essentially that those people would have would have wanted, would have demanded. It's like the Republican Party was annoyed that the Tea Party took the spotlight and got a bunch of public support, just like the Republican Party was annoyed that people voted for Trump instead of Jeb Bush. <laughs> and I think that that this this um, schism in the Republican Party continues to plug us to this day and is going to plug us into the future. It's also one of the reasons why I think Trump was so essentially uh, ineffective as president is the Republican Party didn't coalesce behind the guy that their electorate elected. Mm -hmm. They instead acted as if they were this, as if he was a third party candidate and both them and the Democrats were opposition. Right. And I worry that that's going to happen again. Like, no matter who is elected, honestly, it seems like no matter who we elect, we have to deal with the fact that not only is the left going to unify behind opposing them, but also a large chunk of the Republican Party apparatus and all of the power it wields at the state and federal level is also going to be unreliable. And that is a very difficult situation to be in. Kind well, of like if, and this, this is my biggest worry about Trump, even say Vivek Ramaswamy, let's see, either one of them makes president. Will they be able to make the changes that we need to make to save the country? And if not, will they be capable of crushing the deep state and the swamp effectively enough? And that is a very difficult challenge. And I don't know how that's going to swing out. Well, and the, yeah, the, therein lies actually a very large problem, right? Is whomever, when, when you're considering a primary candidate, um, whomever you're uh, voting for, needs to be able to oversee the reformation of the Republican Party um, in, in in the final, uh, basically in, in the final form of <clears throat> getting uh, any of these uh, sort of globalist-esque neoconservative uh, donors to realize that their choices, are, like, I don't know, in a sense, it would almost be like putting a gun to their head and, and saying like, look, you have a choice. Uh, either you're going to go along with what we're doing now. You know, we, we're going to push for um, there not to be a bunch of weird trans stuff in schools. Uh, we're never yep. going to let the country lock down again. We're not going to shove vaccines down people's throats. Uh, we're also, uh, we're not going to be engaging in a bunch of random foreign wars and uh, foreign escapades. And we are going to start focusing on America first. You can right. choose not to go along with that. Um, but never expect your taxes to ever go down because you will be eaten alive by the communists on the left. Because to be completely honest, when you look at some of these, um, some of these larger interests uh, that influence the Republican Party, they don't really actually have a lot in common with the GOP, except for the deregulation and the reduction of taxes. Other than that, on a cultural level, um, these large donors and some of these non-governmental organizations and the 501c3s and everything else have zero in common culturally with your average Republican. They just don't, they just want lower taxes and less regulation in the market. Otherwise, we don't have common cause. And so right. I, I think, mm -hmm. I think a lot of these things, it's why those same groups are ones that benefit heavily from illegal immigration. They don't yes. really care about gun rights. They don't really care about eliminating the federal bureaucracy they just care more about basically um 
free market economics and deregulation so companies can make more money. That's the reason why they vote Republican, but not because of this deep set loyalty and value of American exceptionalism. Right. And and that was um, it, it, it's funny because that was one of the fun statements. Uh, now, well, there's a couple of stuff uh, go, kind of going back to the evaluation of the two candidates. When I say performance wise, Vivek won. Sure. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of explained that, you know, he was able to be the lightning rod. He was able to be the front and center when it comes to um, actual uh, debate wise and and furthering uh, your policy prescriptions. Uh, then it was Ron DeSantis. So they both won the night for different reasons. And sure. um, I'll explain that a little bit in. It was really fun because I actually had to like, I'm, I like ran out to the gas station and just had like my regular um, FM radio on. And it picked up Ben Shapiro doing his post analysis. And it was the funniest thing I had heard in a long time because it, it's just, I remember Ben Shapiro years ago and how just God awful annoying he was when he tried to play the good Trump, bad Trump thing and just yeah. all that. And so it was fascinating. Cause I was like, Oh my God, what is, what is this guy going to say about the debate? And he <laughs> fucking hated Ramaswamy so much. It was hilarious. And it was like, it well, legitimately reminded that, me of 2015. What were his big complaints about Ramaswamy? Okay. Because I can think of a big one that probably colored a lot of his other complaints. He did not bring that up. (laughs) That's actually... That actually makes it surprising and, and kind of suspicious. Well, because he was only talking about what happened at the debate. (laughs) So, his big complaint... And, like, this... Like I said, this is going to remind us of 2015. You remember you and I talking about, like, the primaries in 2015... Ben Shapiro was so upset when Ramaswamy accused everybody of basically being a puppet of super PACs. And right. his whole thing was like, that's not how that works. That's not how super PACs work. Super PACs don't like dictate what the, what the, what the candidate does. And it's like, are you purposefully pretending like you don't know what the fuck he's talking about? Because we all know what he's talking about. We all know yeah. what Ramaswamy was referencing, and it was the, you are here to capitulate to the donors, you don't actually care about the voters. That was what he was talking about. Whether he said it the way you think he should have, we all know what he was talking about there. We absolutely well, and, do. And that resonates very heavily with a lot of the base. It resonates with me, certainly. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. Like I look at the people that, I look at the policies we get from the Republican Party, and I can't help but come to the conclusion of this policy or this policy or this policy are from the, uh, originate from the donor class. They don't originate from the American people. Like no voter asked for this. No voter wanted for this. And the things that we are asking for are ignored in favor of doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it's the, it's the standard thing of when we go, who the fuck thought this was a good idea? Yeah. <laughs> so like that that's it it's that right there it's and, the same as it's okay for example a good example would be the republican party announcing here's our new here's our new policy on how to re, on how to fight for against anti-semitism in nigeria you're like i'm where did this come from <laughs> yeah, what what who what wanted is, this yeah like the southern border's wide open 
fix that. It's like, no, no, no. But first, we have to make it safe for gay marriage in Botswana. <laughs> um, again, I don't care about that. No one cares about that. We care way more about, say, you know, the left taking over the FBI. Well, the FBI, they're just here to root out white supremacy. Okay, I don't understand. You know that's getting used against your own voter base. Yeah, but white supremacists are super duper bad. Oh, <laughs> okay. I've realized this isn't for me. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's exactly it. And that's what he was referencing. And to watch Ben Shapiro get all the clipped over it was, was hilarious. Um, yeah. you know, but, but it show it shows a little bit of, it shows that kind of schism, but the difference is, is the tables have turned. I remember the tea party days when the tea party was this really cool force that ended up kind of being co-opted and like what what was the end result of the tea party it was mitt romney so like we know who won we know who won in the battle between the establishment and the tea party when mitt romney's the guy you know the establishment won because mitt romney what like Zero people in the Tea Party thought, oh, yeah, Mitt Romney, that's our fucking guy. <laughs> um, yes. So, but now it's a very different thing. It's it's a very different situation. And and I think that, that it's good. Um, but I think people can get very, very lost in it. Now, just a couple other notes on the on the debate, and then we'll, we'll kind of get to some of the other uh, points of the show here. What I will say is um, some other interesting performances like for example i don't know what the hell happened to mike pence i'm going to be completely Mm. honest i i i know it's very easy um especially after january 6th and all this other stuff and i'm not i'm not saying that it's wrong for people to like avidly hate mike pence right now uh because it feels like he betrayed us on january 6th because you could have just you know uh, well i'll get to that in a second uh but like at the same time I remember Mike Pence not being a bad guy. I remember Mike Pence being fairly well-spoken and sort of kind of pulling that like more polished statesman-y tone of the Trump administration. You know, it made sense. He would go out and he would talk and you'd be like, ah, like this is kind of neat because you get Donald Trump who's like, this is stupid. We're not going to do this anymore. Throw table and be Trump. And then you'd have Mike Pence who'd go in and basically be like, now what the president's saying here and then give sort of the this is really you know like like smooth it over and be be kind of like the 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 uh cooling saucer of the room of of trump's like idle rage which was he played a really good job of it but it did feel very much like mike pence understands what trump is doing supports it and he's going to use kind of his more uh elder statesman and and more he was a radio host um approach to kind of make it more appealing to the broader audience or what what have you and then i hear mike pence at this gop debate and it's like who the hell is this guy and i mean i'm not going to try to get into like a wild debate of this isn't meant to shit on Trump, but it's going to sound like it. And I'm sorry, but there's no other way for me to say it. But how did Donald Trump get played so badly that the guy that I saw at the GOP debate, who was his vice president, how the hell did that, how the hell did Mike Pence ever become 
the guy who got picked for vice president for Donald Trump. Because I can't I think like, of somebody who was more yeah. divergent from anything that I thought MAGA and America First ever believed. Mike Pence is literally the opposite of all of that. I think Mike Pence was a compromise. Yeah. I trumped it for the establishment GOP. Like, hey, we need the establishment GOP to feel represented in the administration so that they cooperate and help us. Like, if you pick Mike Pence as the VP, it will make all of these donors and establishment politicians and power structures. He knows how to navigate that. He knows all those people. And so he's a good add to the administration. It, it, it grants the legitimate. It granted the Trump administration legitimacy in the eyes of the establishment GOP. Now, I think that was the official reason. I think in the, at the end of the day, it was also, there's also probably an element of the establishment has their guy in the administration to help blunt the populism of Trump. Well, like if Trump does things that the establishment doesn't like, you have Mike Pence there ready to try to basically run interference for him. So, I mean, that's that is that is absolutely 100 percent possible. It's also possible that Mike Pence did change, and this is how Mike Pence thinks he's going to be able to win the presidency. Because I have a theory. Okay. Um, it's a very weird theory. Uh, and I guess, yeah, I guess I guess we'll jump into it because, like, do we really need to talk about Nikki Haley and all these other people? We don't. You, you all have heard about it. They didn't have anything worth a shit to say. Most of it was cringy and lame. Um, and maybe right. I'll touch on it here and there. I have a theory. So uh, one of one of the big aspects of what people have been talking about with this strategy of charging Trump, especially uh, with the whole Atlanta uh, charges that came out, this RICO case and everything else, is the whole concept and strategy here is the 14th Amendment. And the 14th Amendment in the Constitution covers things like the idea that somebody cannot be the president of the United States if they ever fomented an insurrection and the entire back backdrop of the charges against Donald Trump in Georgia are that he fomented an insurrection. So the whole point of this prosecution and everything is to be able to, uh, to basically cause it to where Donald Trump can't even run as president to disqualify him from being the president of the United States. That's the entire point, is taking the 14th Amendment and making it to where he can't even be the president of the United States at all. Doesn't even matter, honestly, doesn't even matter if people elect him. Because the Constitution yeah. says he can't. So, that's the entire strategy. I mean, there's more to it than that, but that is the baseline strategy of the Democrat Party. Well, it's interesting because you asked the question earlier, why the hell are all of these people on the stage? And the idea is like, well, they must just be competing for vice president. And I do believe some of them are. But I also believe that they are playing to the GOP establishment for because the way that I see this going, the, the way that this could potentially go down, let's say we make it all the way through the primary. Donald Trump is the nominee, right? He's the nominee yep. as, as uh, 
the guy who's going to run as president of the United States. And then he gets convicted, let's say, of, you know, an insurrection. And then the 14th Amendment kicks in and he can't be president of the United States. Well, who's the nominee then? It's going to be whomever the GOP picks. Because understand, understand that the primary is in reality kind of a favor to the people. The party doesn't have to have a primary. Yes, yes. And so now this, like I said, this is very conspiratorial and in a lot of ways, and I, I will actually give credit to the GOP in a lot of ways because I want to, I want to remind everybody that in 2016, Donald Trump won the primary and there were a lot of people, a lot that were convinced, okay, we're going to fucking lose to Hillary Clinton. It's just, that's it. We're done. And there were people that were trying to encourage the Republican Party to basically say, we don't care what the people said. We don't care that they picked this guy. We're going to use some trickery to put somebody else up because Donald Trump's just ridiculous. And the GOP went, we're not going to do that. We're not going to burn our credibility with our entire voter base. Basically, and and this is legitimate. If you really think about it, this is legitimate. The the Republican Party in 2016 said, we would rather lose this election than lose our base. We're not going to slap our base in the face just to try to win this one election. We would rather lose this one and do what's right and stick with the guy who is picked by the people. I I have to admit, because I, I do a lot, I beat up the Republican Party a lot. But that yeah. actually meant a lot. And it doesn't get brought up enough that there were ways that the Republican Party could have tried to throw Trump off the ticket. And they didn't do it. And they were convinced at the time that they were going to lose to Hillary Clinton. And they chose to lose rather than spit in well, the face of their voters. Well, I think that they must have might have looked at it as like, we're going to lose regardless. Yeah, so well, like that, you, that could if, be if too. If you yeah. did that at the convention, <coughs> if you like, yeah, our voters voted for this guy in the primaries, but screw them. You definitely, you ab, you definitely yeah. lose not only that election, but you probably lose every everyone after that. You destroy the credibility of your party and mm-hmm. your. And so I could see them looking like, well, if we have to, if we're going to lose to Hillary Clinton, regardless, we might as well do so in a way that preserves the power of the party, and that's why I'd be. I, I don't know about this next election. If the establishment GOP, let's say Trump gets the primary vote, the votes for the, the primary, I don't know if they'd do that again, if, that they would let it happen. Because I could, no. I would hope they would. I hope they would go, yeah, no, it's it's fine. Like, we'll lose to Joe Biden. We'll let Trump try and be president. Sure, he, I don't know. It It seems... Anything could happen at this point, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised. I mean, I also feel like if Trump doesn't win the primary, there are going to be a lot, millions and millions of Trump voters who are going to immediately cry foul and claim the primary votes were rigged. God, that would be so and fucking I don't, and, gay. And I'm not entirely sure that they would be 100% wrong. I have at least <sighs> some suspicion that there's that the establishment GOP 
could try and rig the primary votes. But the I thing can't... is, whether that's true, whether there's evidence of it or not. I know it, I know. I, I know what you're saying. It's just yeah. I'm not signing on to every bad thing that happens to Trump being a fucking conspiracy. Like, I'm not saying this to you. I, 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 I get what you're, you're saying. Not. I'm so tired of Donald Trump. I'm, I'm so this. If you if if the Trump campaign wants my unsolicited advice, stop sounding like a fucking baby about everything. Not everything's a conspiracy. Sometimes flat out you fucked up. COVID? That's totally true. Like, totally true. Your but decisions to lock is. down the country were your fucking yeah. decisions. It could be Absolutely. a conspiracy, and but at the same time, and to, 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 I think that this is going to, I think you'll understand, and, and this will frame it, yeah, is yeah. don't tell me that there's a giant deep state, and then get bamboozled by them and go, oh my god, guys, I can't believe the deep state just did this to me. Oh, so you don't know how to fight the thing. Um, why the fu- why would I ever vote for you? Why would I vote for the guy who literally can't beat the people that he is telling me he's there to fight? Like, so you can't win a fight against the deep state. Awesome. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have to vote for somebody who can. I'm sorry. That's right. my that's and, that, and that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's why I get annoyed by that. It's it's totally under that's totally understandable. The problem is a lot yeah. of the Trump electorate is hyper-concerned about the deep state compromising elections. Yes, yeah. And, I mean, and if the... I guess I don't know what to do necessarily in a world where the vast majority... where Let's not even say the vast majority, but a sizable group, a sizable chunk of the Republican electorate no longer trusts their own primary system what happens in that world? I guess that's what interests me the most. Is well, let's say Trump doesn't get the... Mm-hmm. Regardless of what happens, Trump could be... If Trump doesn't get to run for president, whether it is the left and political maneuvering and the justice system, they convict him of some things, or the Republican Party doesn't award him the nomination through fair means or foul means... If Donald Trump doesn't get to run for president, mm-hmm. there is going to be a very large contingent of people in this country that will basically feel like they have no political um, solution anymore. Right. And I don't know what those people do the next day. Where do they start looking for solutions to the very real problems that they have when they feel they no longer can can have any sort of trust in the system. Well, and this is where Donald Trump needs to be responsible and understand. Um, bear with me on this for a second, but this is where he needs to be responsible and understand the larger strategic picture. If he true, if he truly believes in the movement that he wants to build, this is where sure. he needs to be the responsible adult in the room and think about the future of this country that he claims to love and is fighting for and realize Unless he can definitively come out and say, this is how fraud happened in the primary, if that were the case, or what have you. If the voters choose someone that's not him, he needs to look at this and say, I didn't get picked, but I can endorse the person who did and do what every other person has done in the past. And we would we would avoid almost all of this this scenario. 
the part of the problem I think that a lot of people have with Trump, like the uh, some of the people that used to be big Trump fans, I think part yeah. of the problem that they run into is they don't see that even as a potential. You and I would never even be having this discussion if it were a different politician. We would never even have to theorize. Well, what happens if they lose the what happens if they lose the um, nomination? The the response would yeah. be, well, they'll likely endorse the other candidate. Their war chest will get moved over and then we'll just move forward. And it's all about beating Joe Biden and the evil, awful Democrats. And yep. the, the reason why I frame it that way is regardless who the nominee is, we absolutely have to win this next election. And by the way, and, and I'm not. I'm surmising based off of what other people say, not what Donald Trump says. Donald Trump's got his weird campaign strategy that he's doing right now, but I don't think it's entirely real. Um, and I, I'll touch on that in a little bit. But at the same time, Trump, like, let's say it's Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is the nominee. Trump needs Ron DeSantis to win. He absolutely needs him to win because he has to get pardoned. Yeah. Trump has to be pardoned or he's going to die in jail. That's that's the end. That is the end result. If Joe Biden gets another four years, Donald Trump, Donald Trump dies in prison. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah. And so there's, I mean, I've heard a lot of different theories and stuff. You know, like one of, one of the things that you and I have talked about is what happens if he loses the nomination and then Trump becomes a third party and just screams and decides he's going to run independent. I thought about that a little bit um, last night, and it was like, well, wait a minute. There's no way, because Trump knows that... The, there's no way that Trump doesn't know that that equates to you're going to die in prison. Because if Joe Biden is the president of the United States in January 2025, Donald Trump is going to go to prison. It's happening. Oh, sure. sure. So, um, but it is interesting. And, and, and I don't know. Um, I, I don't... Well, actually, I'll just I'll just move into this. <clears throat> well, first of all, a real quick program note for everybody. Um, totally fine talking about the debates, doing a recap, talking about the good things that we see uh, coming from uh, the different candidates. Uh, but with that being said, we are going to start pulling off of uh, drilling down too much into the primaries uh, at an individual level. And this was a decision that was mostly made because Alan made fun of me. And Alan has an opinion <laughs> about the uh, the debates that are happening primarily on like social media about all of the different candidates. And so I'm going to let him share his opinion with you all because I think it's very instructive and it's a good way to focus on this. And so, Alan, how is it you feel about all the arguments about DeSantis or Vivek or Donald Trump or all of this? What does this really sound like to you when you hear it? A lot of it sounds like to me like high school gossipy drama. Like, who's going to invite Vivek to prom? And did you hear DeSantis didn't think Donald Trump's new shoes were cute? And I were not at the primary yet. The primary, when, when's the first even, what's was the Iowa? Iowa caucus is in February. In February. So we have till February before any of this really matters. And even then, I don't vote in the Iowa caucus. Whatever people in Iowa do, I have very little control over. And so it's when we get to a closer race, all a lot of these people will may drop out. I mean, I don't know. Do you remember Andrew Yang? 
how there was all of this excitement about him. He was in the primaries, like Bernie Sanders, like that guy had this name. He had uh, all these supporters, and then he just disappeared after a couple rounds of the primaries. And so yeah. I think there's this question of as much as it is as fun as it is to speculate about who's going to be the candidate until we get into actual caucuses and primaries happening. It's all just sort of guesswork and gossip up until that point, which makes it a little less satisfying to talk about because I kind of keep coming back to as much as I can comment on this. There's really not that much for me to say. Well, and there's nothing you can do about it. And, and yeah, exactly. And there's no, there's nothing that that I can really do about it, which is fine. But it is just kind of oh, I guess it's not very satisfying because I just sort of can rail against it and yell and scream. But at the end of the day, time will tell how this all turns out. Well, and uh, oh, sorry. Hang on a second. Yeah, had to sneeze. Um, do that. I would say. Honestly, a lot of it is bullshit. A lot of the arguing, uh, arguing and the fighting and the the other nonsense mm-hmm. is specifically that. It's nonsense. Uh, the majority of the Republican Party like Ron DeSantis and like Donald Trump. This idea yeah. that there's some giant schism and there's two factions at war with one another. Yeah, that's a bunch of loser clickbait like substack dorks. That are convincing people of that to get clicks. You are being misled into this war among two different groups so people can get more clicks on their sub stack. That is what is happening. You are being misled into all of this. You're basically being misled to a page six column, like a gossip celebrity column, um, by people who just want your advertising revenue. None of it's real. And it's not reflective. Mm-hmm. That's the way this whole, I guess, fight between DeSantis supporters and Trump supporters always felt to me is the vast majority of Trump supporters I know, if DeSantis was the nominee, I don't think a lot of them would be too upset. They might be upset that it wasn't Trump, but at the same time, I don't think they would be disappointed in a president. They wouldn't be so disappointed in a president DeSantis that they would go out and do anything crazy. Well, but at the same, mm-hmm. and then so the the limit, the amount of breath that is being spent on the whole Trump versus DeSantis fight and DeSantis, did you know DeSantis doesn't like black people? Bah, like all these <laughs> things, I always just go. This all seems fake somehow. This doesn't seem real because real people don't seem like they do this. Yeah, like real people <laughs> don't care about this this much right now potentially when we get closer to primary season and it actually looks like what which way do you, when people are actually asked to pick who do you support i think that that's when they're going to care but right now at least to me it seems like a lot of people might have fun speculating about it but mm-hmm. the reality is so far off i just have trouble put spending that much uh putting that much behind it yeah and I don't I don't think the attacks are even serious. Uh an example of that is Donald Trump Jr. trying to make fun of Ron DeSantis for because he's wearing DeSantis wears cowboy boots, right? And yeah. they were at the Field of Dreams in Iowa. DeSantis was a baseball player, and so for whatever reason, uh 
there's a picture posted of Ron DeSantis like pitching a ball and or maybe sure. batting, and it was like, oh, is Ronda transitioning? You know, because he's wearing heels, right? Because he's because yeah. he's wearing heels. Yeah. What's really funny is Donald Trump Jr. has a signature pair of cowboy boots that you can buy from his online store, and he wears them. Okay. And he shows them off, but then he calls cowboy boots high heels and suggests that it's feminine to wear them, which makes zero sense to anybody in the Republican Party. And so the question is: is there's no way you're this dumb. This has to be something else. This has to be for some other reason. And so I think I've figured out the reason. And I'm not going to be able to fully prove it and flesh it out to you all. So I'm just going to prove my reason by this. I will now, henceforth, refer to Ron DeSantis as Vice President DeSantis. Because that, I think, is what is the strategy. I think Donald Trump is going to name Ron DeSantis as his vice president. Interesting. Now, it's very hard to prove in today's landscape with all the fighting and infighting and backbiting that's going on. But I I, I, I think that that is the strategy. Um, well, number one, it should be the strategy anyway. Um, I don't know what all the attacks are for, but I think there might actually be some like legitimate thought process and reasoning behind it and part of it is to exhaust any to exhaust any landscape for the left to attack DeSantis also think about this for a second you get all of these people who are questionable about Trump to align solidify and just get so gilded in their support for Ron DeSantis he's the guy that's going to win he's the guy that's going to carry us carry us over he's the future of the Republican yeah. Party. Then you pick that guy to be your VP, which by the way means that Ron DeSantis will be the nominee in 2028. Right. And then, you know, you get another four years. And so all of a the sudden, there's that whole swath of people that are going to be like, well, I want a President DeSantis and having a Vice President DeSantis is basically a guarantee of that. I think that's a very reasonable... I guess thing. And a data point, uh, by the way, to support yeah. that is Donald Trump has been spending it. A lot of people have talked about this, this weird like rule set that the say that the president and vice president can't come from the same state. Explain to me why Donald Trump is spending so much time in Bedminster, New Jersey recently. Maybe he's got some nice things there. I think that he is preparing to change his residency to New Jersey thereby separating oh. himself between him and Ron DeSantis so they can run on the same ticket because he wants Ron DeSantis to be his vice president, and he always has. And everything else is I a dumb game. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised by that, and I think that would be... I feel like that would be the best move. If I was Trump, that would be a great move. Because mm -hmm. not only does it take a challenger away from the, off the field for your presidency, it also means that if you do get... If you aren't able to beat these charges and yep. you are ineligible for president, mm -hmm. it's that much easier to – instead of having to say, well, everybody vote for the guy who just spent the last you know, couple months attacking me trying to win over – win you over, you can go, well, I guess I can't run, but the, my good buddy here, Ron, I yeah. need you to vote for him. And I think a lot – that would – that would make a lot of sense. Whether that's actually going to happen, I don't know. But 
that seems like it would be a very good play for both sets of people. Because Ron DeSantis is relatively young. Oh, yeah. And it would be seemingly a... I mean, even if he goes... Say he's vice president for four years. Mm-hmm. Even if he's... Go, even if he does... You know, say you don't get... Re- they don't, they don't, say they don't get reelected. You could easily transition back to being governor of Florida. I, I just feel like that puts you in a very strong position to either running for president in the future, like Joe Biden. Joe Biden was vice president. Now he's president. Right. It seems like it would be... If I was Ron DeSantis, instead of having to deal with there's this horde of Trump voters that are super loyal to Trump and all of that nonsense, I can see there would be a, a lot of a very good case to be made for what if you were just his vice president and then you get the benefit of all the, the loyalty of the Trump voters and all of your current all of your, I guess, supporters, which I feel the overlap between. DeSantis supporters and Trump supporters is quite high. Oh, it's massive. I, I would put it at 95%. Or at least it's, they don't seem opposed, which is the nice part. No. Ron DeSantis was a hero a year ago to every single person who supported Donald Trump. The only thing that changed is Ron DeSantis went into the primary and then all of a sudden everyone pretends like DeSantis was actually this awful guy and they knew the whole time. And so it's it's all nonsense and it's all made up. It's just simply right. not true. Um. Right. And everybody knows it. And that's the whole thing, too, is like both of these campaigns know that this is all bullshit. Like, <laughs> like they all yeah. know it. Right. Um, but and to be fair, like, I really like Trump. I want to see Trump's vengeance arc. I really do. One of the reasons why I've had such a problem with this is COVID's a big thing for me. And I didn't like what I saw happen. And it was during yeah. the Trump presidency. And. We're hearing the same murmurs again. There's a new strain and Biden's going to start putting money forward towards vaccines. And it's just like, here we go, guys. It's just like 2019. It's almost the exact same thing again, guys. It's happening. They need mail-in voting again. New new election strain has been found. We're going to lock down. And um, that is a big worry. Yeah, uh, it's a huge very, worry because very understandable worry. What do what do we even do if they yeah. lock down again? What are our choices that don't end up in me spending the rest of my life in jail? And I have very few. Right. Like well, it's, it, the, it's the same mm-hmm. when talking about uh, recently Trump had his mugshot picture taken for these court cases and yeah. It's a great, I think it's great, because he looks angry and serious in his mugshot, and I kind of want it printed on a t-shirt. And I think that, but there is a certain something to be said for, it is a crazy scenario we are into where the opposition, the the power, the party, the political party that's currently in power is essentially acting like a banana republic and arresting its political opponents. A lot of people have commented on this, but on our phone call last night, one thing Aaron brought up was, yeah, 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 but like, what do we do about that? It's enough to be outraged. We're mm-hmm. all outraged. I'm, I'm sure we're all outraged. I don't need to make the case to anybody that they should be outraged anymore. I need to just, like, we all know it. We all know that things are not as they should be and are headed in a very bad direction. And, the, re- the question I think a lot of people are asking that is increasingly the only question worth asking is, mm-hmm. what do we do about it? And the best answer I can come up with is 
there's Aaron's suggestion, like you said, which is I, I personally can't really do much other than basically start a violent, you know, one man insurgency. Mm-hmm. And that I don't know how successful that could be, <laughs> but I don't think it would really make the impact that you might want. And I think the other, we have to then turn to what are the other avenues of political power that we could still capture and exercise. Because it's all about establishing essentially a capture of a political power base. Mm-hmm. And currently we really don't have any, or at least any that are explicit. And I think something like, uh, honestly, Ron DeSantis in Florida is, I think, a very good um, roadmap to what is the future for Americans in the United States. And I think it is turned towards our state governments and where we can elect, get the reddest state governments we can with the most hardline governors and push forward at the state and local level uh, electing people who are, are making a commitment to protecting their citizens, their state, their lands from predation by a tyrannical federal government. And I think that is the way forward for the conservative movement because it looks certainly looks like, at least at the federal level, it is at best deadlocked and at worst controlled by the bad guys. Well, and, and here's, here's the real, or one, one, of, one of the very real issues is the Republicans, especially the, quote, principled Republicans, and true Republicans, mm-hmm. have already lost. You've already lost, guys. It's over. You already lost. Because guess what? Like, yep. Tell, tell me one more time. Please, 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 GOPers, tell me one more time how uh, this case against uh, Donald Trump is a violation of the Constitution. Please tell me about it. I would love to hear one more time how big a uh, how big a violation of the Constitution these charges against Trump are. I just want to hear you say it to me one more time. Yeah, certainly. Because I, I, think um, there is, I can't yeah, do fuck all about it. So I guess we can just I guess the left just gets to violate the Constitution because I never hear what you're going to do about it. They've done how many of these indictments? They did how many of these dumb shit impeachments? They did the entire Russian collusion. They, those were all violations of the Constitution. Every single one of them were a violation of some form or fashion of the Constitution of the United States. I mean, the federal government literally spied on a political opponent. They literally spied on him based on, uh, ba- based on information they knew was false. That's a huge violation yeah. of the Constitution. Oh yeah. no, I don't know. I don't know if I need to. I I, I don't know who I need to tell this to. Um, but I'll put it out here on air. Uh, hey guys, nothing bad happens when you violate the Constitution in the United States. Nothing bad will happen to you because that's the message that I got. That's the message I've actually received from being a Republican my entire life. Is nothing bad happens to you? If you're a yeah. Democrat and you violate the Constitution of the United States, not a n- not a single bad thing will happen to you. So please that tell me one more time. Point. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, no, go ahead. Just p- please tell me one more time how big a violation of the Constitution this is. 
Because not only are you going to do that, but you know what else they're going to tell us? That, like, for example, this is happening in Georgia. And Brian Kemp's a Republican. He's the Republican governor of Georgia. Oh, but Brian Kemp can't do anything, guys, because that would be a violation of the Constitution. God, I'm loving the shit out of this Constitution of the United States. This thing that doesn't matter to my enemies that they then turn around and weaponize against me so I can't even fight back while they're destroying my country. God, what a great document. It's going so fucking great. Right. I, I think what we're wrestling with is, and this is a very high-level discussion to be had, <laughs> is are we hitting the limits of what the Constitution is capable of? It's like the Constitution works great and is rules for governing a cohesive and unified group of people, or at least a, a group of people cohesive enough to not be at war with one another. But it falls, it is a not a document that is, it is not a set of rules that is applicable to our current situation. Is that possibly the case? And I think that's a very, that's not a good conversation that I really want to have, but it's seemingly more and more is inside the, the what I would like to have answered for me by, say, the Republican Party, what they're, they would be very good if they could do this, is to give me a roadmap for within the constraints of the Constitution. How can the left be stopped and how can we because it's not about stopping them. I don't want the country to just stop where it is. I want to advance our agenda and capture more of the country and turn things into a country that we want rather than simply begrudgingly subsisting in a country that's hostile to us. I don't want to simply survive in a hostile country controlled by people that I think are evil. I want to actively win a revolution and recapture the country for my posterity. And I think it's like, I don't want to live as simply a serf who happens to be protected by some document. I want to live in a country that is that I don't have to worry about these things anymore. Mm -hmm. That would be the actual goal that I would want. I want to, I want the statues to get put back up. I want Columbus Day. I want to never hear about Indigenous Peoples Day again. I want to never have to worry about gun rights again. I want to, I don't want to have to think about arguing. I don't want to even argue about abortion anymore. I just want all of these things to be fixed and fixed for good. And I don't really see a path forward based on the a realistic evaluation of the current political, social media and corporate influence of the left how we can do anything but lose inside the boundaries set by the constitution it ties a hand behind our back in a way it doesn't tie a hand behind the back of our enemies because it is a voluntary document mm -hmm. it's a voluntary set of rules that we are that we sign on to to live in a society that we want so well they've mm -hmm. abandoned it and if they've abandoned that set of rules we are now fighting essentially a handicapped battle for a prize that I don't even think we want. Well, real quick, I do want to address something you said because you're you're not wrong in your um in how it seems, mm -hmm. but but here's here's the crazy part: the Constitution's not a voluntary set of rules; it's the law. It just doesn't fucking matter. When the left violates it, because the GOP 
is full of pussies. Because instead of doing, for all of these politicians who claim that like the, like Mike Pence is a great example, right? So his big thing at the debate was, you know, when I, (coughs) sorry, when I made a pledge uh, to uphold the Constitution of the United States, I made that pledge to the American people and to the Lord our God. That was a statement he made at the GOP debate. Oh, cool, Mike. So that's why you didn't send the votes back to the state legislatures, because constitutionally, it would have been a violation of the Constitution for you to do it. Need I remind yeah. you, Mike, that um, several of those states violated their fucking constitutions by not consulting their legislatures at all when they did mail-in voting and they changed the rules and they changed how you know votes were tabulated. They, they changed all of these things involving the election in violation of their constitution. So mm-hmm. uh, please explain, Mike. Explain. Because that was the problem. Pennsylvania absolutely broke the law. Absolutely broke the law. The state legislature in Pennsylvania is who's supposed to make decisions when it comes to elections. And the governor just went, nope, we do this now. Didn't even consult the the legislature at all, which was in total violation of the Constitution. Which, by the way, is that seems like it should be a problem, right? But I, but Mike Pence went, well, I, 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 I stood up for the Constitution, the Lord our God. Oh, cool. You're so pious, man. Except for all those times that you're not. Because if he was honest, then he wouldn't care about the political ramifications of doing the right thing when the Constitution's violated. So, right. you know, when people spy on... A political campaign, a violation of the constitutional rights of people like George yeah. Papadopoulos and Donald Trump and Paul Manafort and all these people. Okay, so you were going to throw people in jail for that because they violated the Constitution, which is awful and it's a sacrosanct document. And need I remind Mike that he made an oath not just to the American people, but to the Lord our God. Right. Right. So where the fuck were you, Mike? I just, right. I, I uh, just want to know. Yeah. No, I think that this is the continual frustration with the GOP is they use the Constitution as an excuse for why they shouldn't put in the effort. Yep. And it's so, not that they don't want to solve these issues. It's that uh, I don't. It's I. It, it's, is it laziness? Is it whatever? At the n- end of the day, they're not interested in. Putting forth the effort to solve these issues and hold the left accountable, and either they don't have the political power to do so, which case they don't, they need to be honest about that, <laughs> or they don't have the interest in creating the political power to do so. At the end of the day, it certainly feels like a lot of the GOP, a lot of these politicians, have spent. Well, and I, I, this is the point I made last night that I I came up with and thought it was. I thought it was pretty good, which is the country is in decline. Things have gotten worse ever for the last couple decades. And I am supposed to vote for the people that have been in power. I'm amazed that anyone in the GOP that's been in their office for the last 20 years 
has the audacity to even show their face and expect me to support them. Yeah. Like, how many of these GOP politicians couldn't, like, were super excited to send to, for us to go fight in Iraq that mm-hmm. never provided oversight for the war in Afghanistan, that, were, that happily went along with all of the COVID stuff, Who's, who put it, the Patriot Act into effect? How much of the American manufacturing is now gone, probably possibly forever, because these people wanted to make a quick buck for their donors? Right. So I don't trust the GOP anymore because I have seen the fruits of their labor. They are a rotten tree that has given rotten fruit, and I don't feel like they deserve my time or attention. I mean, so... And in, 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 well, and to that point, um, I don't know, man, like parts of this country were locked down for two years. Yeah. Where is the fucking constitution? Like, seriously, the federal government, like you can sit there and say, well, actually it was the decision of the governors. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> like, like, okay. Are you fucking serious? Okay. I don't give a shit whose decision it was. Yeah. The government locked doors. They closed parks. They closed businesses. They arrested people in churches. I don't yeah. fucking want to hear another argument ever again from anybody in the current GOP about the Constitution. You all can just die. You can literally just walk off a cliff and fucking die <laughs> because you did nothing. The Consti- As far as I know, the Constitution of the United States of America, because of how the GOP has acted... It is only a document that harms me. Why would I ever? And now I understand. Don't send me a bunch of letters about why the Constitution is great. Shut up. Like, I don't want to hear it. Um, You need to understand this. Why would I ever support the Constitution of the United States when I only ever hear it brought up for two different reasons? Either number one, as a... Re, like It's either brought up as a, oh my God, look at the Democrats violating it. So it's it's only ever brought up one as something that the Democrats are violating unopposed or number two as a reason why Republicans can't fight back. Those are the only times I ever hear the Constitution brought up. So uh, why would I why do I give a shit about this document? It never does anything for me. So, like, why do I care? why, Why would I give a damn if they set it on fire? What difference does it make to my current situation if they literally just burned it? And I think this is a bit, this is a major issue is I'm supposed to be able to rely on the constitution mm-hmm. to protect me from government overreach, yeah. but it doesn't seem like that is the case. And so I kind of look at all of these politicians and go, well, if you, if you can't stop the bad guys because of the Constitution, why doesn't the Constitution stop the bad guys from hurting me? Right. Well, and that's the problem is because the way that everything works in the United States now is it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like the, the Constitution will protect you in potentially three years as long as the Supreme Court takes up your case. And, uh, then maybe the Constitution will help you. Otherwise, you will be probably oppressed for that entire time and most likely go bankrupt and not even be able to make it to the Supreme Court. Best of luck hey, to you. And that's a big, that's a <laughs> very frustrating thing. Yeah. It's absolutely frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and um, damn it, there there was a there was another part of that too. Um, but anyway, mm. 
I, I can't I can't remember what it was now. Um, yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I actually do like the Constitution of the United States. I would just love to see it actually, you know, respected in this country by both parties. Yeah. Because the GOP sure. has wildly failed. Uh, oh, no. And that's it. So the, the reality is, is it's not even laziness. It's politics. The Republican Party right now is dickering about whether or not they should impeach Biden. Think about that for yeah. a second, guys. The, so the Democrat Party impeached Donald Trump over a phone call and then rushed another impeachment after January 6th. And they impeached him twice in in the House of Representatives. No problem. They didn't give a damn about doing it. They did it super quick and basically really didn't seem to be that electorally harmed over it, um, as it would appear. We have, so um, yesterday, actually, there was an interview with Viktor Shokin, the, uh, the prosecutor in Ukraine who got fired after uh, Joe Biden said, basically, I'm not going to give you a billion dollars in aid until you fire Viktor Shokin. And he was discussing, like, on this in this interview yesterday, he was discussing the fact that he's like, by the way, none of this was news. But he was discussing the fact that he was like, yeah, like, we had a really good case against Burisma. And the CEO of Burisma was bringing in all of these people to try to fight against us because, you know, we knew he was corrupt and we were proving his corruption. And one of the people that he brought in to help him fight against us was Hunter Biden. And he was he was directly asked, you know, was there bribery? And he said, because he was a prosecutor, his response was, like, I don't want to I don't want to speak on things that I don't personally have a, like evidence on. But what I will say is Joe Biden said that he would withhold a billion dollars Unless I was fired and then I got fired and he gave them a billion dollars. You tell me how that looks. How is that not corruption? And his son was working for the company that I was prosecuting. So, you know, like I do I have a bunch of evidence in front of me? No, but seriously, look at that. Tell me that's not coincidental, right? So you have all of that information. You have the bank records. You have everything that the, like, just scads of actual proof and information that at least something worthy, I would say, of an inquiry exists. And Kevin McCarthy and other people in the GOP are sitting there going, well, gosh, I don't know. And you know why? Because it's an election year. And gosh, it might harm us at the polls. So we'll just let, we're just going to let Joe Biden get away with being super corrupt because it might hurt us politically. Additionally, that should really be one of, that should be one of the only things I should hear GOP candidates talking about. Yeah. I mean, if I was a GOP candidate for president, I would simply run on the current president is, is corrupt and a criminal and so is the entire support party supporting him, and that's why you need to vote for me. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't want to be mean, but we did hear that. Good. In 2016. Oh. And then nothing happened. You know, he yeah, he, he was going to lock her up, and then he fucking didn't. Right. I think that. <laughs> 
I think this is this is why I feel like as lovely as national level politics are, and they are certainly not something to dismiss. Mm-hmm. I think that they need to be viewed as operating inside hostile territory and the best we can do right now is frustrate things at the national level and the focus more heavily on the state level well it's so it's it's really funny that you bring that up because sometimes this gets lost in the sauce a lot what you are talking about is literal republicanism (laughs) like yeah your state level should matter way more because this is the problem like in, in the initial institution of <clears throat> this country, they never even fathomed a federal government this big and state governments this, like, handicapped. It's disgusting yeah. how handicapped they are. And it becomes – the problem is is that the, the national level politics actually becomes so problematic. For example um, – what the Supreme Court did when they were like, no, we're going to kick the whole abortion debate. It's going to go back to the states. This is a state issue. Yeah. States get to decide. That is solid republicanism. Whether you like it or not, it's solid republicanism. Because then, you know, people in California, for example, if there's a lot of people that are maybe disgusted about like abortion up until birth, well, you can push really hard and elect a Republican governor. Who will then overturn it and set like limits or whatever, you know, yeah, set set a uh, set a ban at like fifteen weeks or whatever the hell he wants. Um, mm-hmm. You you could do that, and it's super easy. It's way easier than this idea of like some giant federal like sweeping mandate. You yeah. can absolutely just do that, and then you can have states that are like, yeah, we don't know, we don't allow it at all. And that stuff be- that stuff will start to inform federal politics. In fact, I hate to say it, one of the reasons why I like Ron DeSantis is because as a governor in Florida, he started to inform local po- or, uh, federal level politics. And we saw the same thing situationally in Virginia with Glenn Youngkin. Glenn Youngkin yeah. got really popular basically bitch slapping around school boards. And it started to inform national level politics. And you saw okay. the same thing with Ron DeSantis going after CRT in schools and going after Disney. Because then people yeah. start that. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. This is how boomers and normies started learning about ESG. It was because Ron DeSantis went after Disney and people started right. ba- basically trying to figure out how they could support the idea. Because you had a lot of Republicans that are like, oh, my God, you can't go after a business. Oh, jeezy Pete's. Right. But it was fantastic. And so, sorry, but but you're right. And, and we now have a blueprint and a roadmap for how absolutely important that is. And COVID's another great example. Yeah, they they kicked it over to the governors. There were absolutely some governors that didn't push any of it. And then some of them that started, and then they rescinded back. And that's why, because that's how it's always going to work. When you are going to truly be oppressed, it is going to be um, the only protection that you may have is that local government that Alan's talking about. And what... There's somebody who's the most important in reality in your local community. Do you know who that is, Alan? The sheriff. Yeah, it's your sheriff. 
because your sheriff, it it, it could get messy. Don't misunderstand. But no, that's sh- the whole point. The yeah. point is to make it as messy as possible and to have this fight at the local level. No, no, no. What I mean, sorry, the federal government. What what, what I mean that's is the whole goal. Yeah, it could get very messy because your sheriff has the constitutional right to tell the feds to fuck off. Yeah. It could get messy. There could be potentially a firefight between sheriff's deputies and federal agents, but it can happen, and the sheriff wouldn't be wrong. Right. And, yeah, I, like, hopefully it doesn't get to that point, but we need to be prepared if it does. And I think that, like like you're saying, that that is a great... Wait, can you imagine, actually? Um, well, look at it. The, what's the big case against Donald Trump right now? It's not even a federal case. It is a state-level case with a district attorney in one county of Georgia. Because yeah. Democrats, believe it or not, even though they're all about centralization, they knew how important local-level politics was. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, can you, I can't imagine, well, this would be the goal. The goal is to look at the left as a playbook and just Mm -hmm. say, all right, in red states, we need prosecutors pulling this exact same kind of thing against Joe Biden. Oh my God, absolutely. Where, where, where are they, man? Like, where are they? No, they aren't there yet. Yeah, But I think that needs to be the focus. The focus (laughs) of the right for too long has been on, we'll just elect the right people and they'll just do their job at the federal level. The goal of the left is we need action. We need activists to fill the ranks of all this level of the bureaucracy and march to the institutions. I think the right needs to look at it as we need our own activists who are mm-hmm. hardline activists for the Republican conservative nationalist cause. We need them to fill the ranks of these lower level institutions and especially at the state level so that we can start pulling the same tricks that frustrate us, but to the Democrats. Well, and, and, and that would be a great thing to have happen because it would force these issues into the public eye rather than we hear about an issue, the people we elect don't do anything, it just sort of gets to happen. Crud. One of the interesting things, too, is um, to, to that point, um, you have all of these, like, you have all of these people that worry about stuff like that. Like, like everything you just said, they're going to sit there and be like, well, well, but that's what the, that's what the liberals do. But think about it for a second. Yes. Like Im- Im- imagine if a bunch of conservative activists infiltrate different sectors of society or whatever, however you want to frame it. Um, what does that actually look like? You have a bunch of people who believe in the constitution of the United States and like, legitimately trust and believe in everything it stands for. That's not the same as what the liberals do like at all by a mile. That's a good society Mm -hmm. because they'll look at it. Like it's funny because it honestly, there would be like less harm to everyone overall because there could be somebody who's like, I don't know, whatever some leftist nonsense is happening and sure, we may not like it, but a conservative who likes the Constitution can be like, well, I mean, they're allowed to say these things and it's OK for them to say it because that is their right. And then we're just going to make fun of them for saying it. And so no problem. 
And that's, yeah. I think, an overall good... We, we've already talked about this before on the program where I said, I absolutely don't want liberals to be shut up because they give us, they give us such great content. So that's how somebody on the right would work, whereas someone on the left is like, oh, no, they shouldn't be allowed to talk. They're dangerous. Their speech is dangerous. Silence is violence, even. Their silence and their speech, both absolutely dangerous. So in a horrid activist, oh, my God, it's just like the left on the right is still a vastly better society for literally everyone to include the shitty leftists. Yeah. But for whatever reason, man, we, we sometimes it's getting a lot better. I don't want to be completely like there. It has absolutely progressively gotten a lot better through time with a lot of people paying more attention, but there is still sometimes those people that are like, but that's what the liberals do. And it's like, yeah. And they win every fucking time. Yes. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm tired of losing. And I don't think, I don't even think it's immoral to want good people who stand up for the constitution in every position possible. No. In fact, I would say it is a moral necessity that we retake control of the country because our enemies are immoral and are hell-bent on doing immoral things to us. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really matter what that opposition to this immoral system, what flavor that really even takes. Like, if there were people that were saying we need to do away with democracy and reinstall the king, I would kind of at least, uh, those people would be more of an ally to me than anyone on the left. Oh, I, I am... I am far less of a supporter of democracy as a political theory now than I ever was in my entire life because of how stupid everything in the United States is right now. Like, right. there is absolutely right. a large swath of this country that I don't think should be allowed to vote. There's a large swath of this country that is no longer this country. and Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, the question is this. Are we... We are in one of two scenarios. There's no other options than this. We are either in a cold civil war where we are fought two, we are essentially two different nations trapped in the same territory fighting each other over who gets to dominate whom, or are we essentially a resistance trying to fight to off to overthrow the yoke of a essentially hostile imperial power? We're only one of two options. Either we are trying to throw off the yoke of a hostile imperial power that has taken over our country, or we are two nations fighting for who gets to dominate who on this territory. I We currently mm -hmm. aren't shooting each other over this in large numbers, but we are fighting one of those two fights. I, I prefer the... Um... I prefer it being defined as being two different nations because I don't want America to be the gay transition your children nation. So I'm going to say it's yeah. two different nations. Like hashtag well, see, not my I, country. Yeah, see, I would say it is more there's the sort of the global American empire or G-A-E, gay for short. <laughs> um, and it, that and gay controls... Western Europe, it controls America, it controls Canada, it controls Australia. So we are, I, th I think that it actually is more appropriate to form this in terms of we are fighting a resistance to throw off the yoke of an evil gay empire <laughs> that, has, that has subverted and taken control of our nation. You know what's so bad? 
What's that? I never noticed that. <laughs> you know, oh, you never <laughs> never noticed that. Oh. I feel so stupid right now because <laughs> I was like, oh, the GAE. I guess that's just a new thing. Yeah, it's the Global American Empire. At no point did it ever click in my head that it was gay, and I was like, now I'm like. Oh, of course it is. It makes perfect yeah. sense. Oh, speaking of gay, um, we have some news on Ukraine. <laughs> oh, excellent. Forefront of the gay fight for world domination. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to give them $100 billion more dollars so they can have Drag Queen Story Hour. Um, you know, or else Putin wins. Um, did we ever confirm there was a rumor going around that Joe Biden was making... Uh, relief money to Maui contingent on Ukraine funding. Did we ever confirm whether that was true? I was trying to look into that earlier, and I didn't find anything that was conclusive either way. Okay. Would it would it surprise? There's because there's and there's like a lot of things. Would it surprise me if Joe Biden or the Democrats were saying we if unless you agree to fund. A hundred billion more to Ukraine. We won't release funds to Maui. That certainly wouldn't surprise me if someone was trying to do that. Uh, and if someone was doing that, would it be almost impossible to find out? Probably also that also true. Unfortunately, we have to leave that as unconfirmed because we can't didn't find anything other than the allegations that that was happening. But there's no conclusive proof. Yeah, let me see. I'm I'm catching up on something real quick on on basically where that came from is uh according to lawmakers in Washington, the financially stressed agency being FEMA, uh which has been called on for numerous environmental catastrophes in recent years is expected to run out of money within the month. US uh Representative Jared Moskowitz, a Democrat from Florida, well known for his sharp focus on disaster management, began raising alarm about the problem in June and introduced bipartisan resolution sorry, to provide $11.5 billion in emergency appropriation to the Federal Emergency Management Agency. The chances for its success initially appeared good. The measure also... Uh, also has support in the Senate, where Senator Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida, has introduced parallel legislation. Lawmakers from Florida, which makes sense being like their huge focus because of all the hurricanes, right? Lawmakers from Florida on both sides uh, of the aisle share deep concerns about disaster planning because of their coastal state's uh, perennial hurricane risk a worry that's always highlighted in the late summer storm season. The Biden administration asked for the supplemental spending on Wednesday, the, this uh, article, by the way, I think is it's from August 15th. So it's um, sure. asked for the supplemental spending on Wednesday, the same day that the president also approved the disaster declaration for Maui. But the effort to get uh, a speedy appropriation has f has floundered after the Biden administration sought 12 billion in emergency funding. Uh, that would extend the disaster relief program while simultaneously requesting $24.1 billion in military spending for Ukraine in the same package. That means that the funding, that funding Hawaii's needs for Maui's recovery has been tied to funding to back Ukraine's military. So it did absolutely happen. Oh. Yep. Well, I'm glad you found that article. I, yes, that's uh, it, it's sorry. The only reason why is I know how they play these tricks. 
Yeah. Okay. Sure. And, and so it, it's 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 the way that they weave this shit around, um, and it, it's called earmarking. Is is one of it? Uh. Um, yeah. So it's like I think I know how they did this, and so it was absolutely tied. And they do this all the time, which, by the way, leads. A, so speaking of Maui. So, yes, the Biden administration absolutely was trying to tie Ukraine funding to this. But that's not the only time that they they consistently use disasters as a way to basically fuck with people. So you have these Maui wildfires where it basically looks like the entire situation is the result of the fact that a massive basically so all of hawaii is democrat it is a liberal paradise there's no real opposition whatsoever in the entire state and it's a complete shit show there are literally claims that people were trying to escape the wildfires regardless of like regardless of why this occurred people were trying to escape the wildfires and the only route out was blocked and the people who survived were the people who defied roadblocks and defied the experts and defied the government. Those were the people who survived. There is a massive yeah. amount of mismanagement for decades that resulted in a giant wildfire while the left is trying to tell you it was climate change. And on top of it, the media is completely gone. Now uh, I don't. There's been there there has been a media blackout of the situation in Maui. Is yeah, what I'm trying to say. Now okay. I, I do not care whether or not the president of the United States goes to every freaking disaster on the planet. I think it's stupid. It's always been stupid. It's obstructive. The president is not helpful when a hurricane or a flood or any of this shit happens. They're not helpful showing up, and it's nothing right. more than a photo op. And so it's total right. bullshit. But the Democrats set this as a rule when they went after George W. Bush and Katrina, and then they went after uh, Donald Trump uh, with Hurricane Maria and whatever other disaster. I'm sure we could come up with a bunch of them. But every time they would bitch, piss, and moan about either George W. Bush wasn't here, wasn't there, didn't do X, Y, and Z, and then it was Donald Trump needs to be there. Why isn't Donald Trump there? I mean, I remember seeing videos of, of Trump walking around in the devastation of the Black Lives Matter riots. Sure. And so the Democrats set the rules and the media set the rules that to be a good president, to not be a heartless person, you've got to go rushing out there anytime that there's a disaster. But apparently only if you're a Republican, because here's a really great comparison, folks. You're not hearing anything from the media critical about Joe Biden when it comes to Maui. He took It took him 13 days to get out to Hawaii, and he basically used it as a pit stop in between vacations. And I'm not joking. He was in Rehoboth Beach on vacation, got on a plane, stopped at Maui, and went to fucking Lake Tahoe on vacation. That is exactly yeah. how his schedule just worked out. Now, when he was asked about it, as everyone probably already knows... He responded with no comment when he was asked about his reaction while on vacation to the wildfires that were happening in Maui. And his response was no comment. Now, what happened just the other day in Florida? Well, a man 
went into a Dollar General <coughs> and killed three people and then himself in what police are describing as a racially motivated attack. Now, they know it's racially motivated because they know everything about this guy and apparently have a manifesto he wrote before he did the attack. We still, by the way, don't have the manifesto at all of the uh, trans, whatever it was, uh, that the trans woman, the, the woman that claimed to be trans that went in and shot a bunch of kids at a Christian school. We're still not allowed to see that manifesto, but literally within hours of somebody going and shooting three people in a dollar general. It is national news. We have the manifesto. We already know everything about it. We already know it was racially motivated. And the media is demanding to know when Ron DeSantis is going to go to Jacksonville. They want to know right now, when is Ron DeSantis going to go there? When's he going to go there? What's he going to do? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, you know, we can all see this, right? Like, it's, it's bad well, enough. Like, yes, three people being shot in a racially motivated attack is terrible. That's obviously awful. But no offense, that's three people being shot is, is bad. But a, over a hundred people being burned alive and thousands, at least a thousand people missing, a lot of whom were children through the absolute incompetence of federal and state level agencies is way worse by a lot. seems pretty bad. Seems pretty bad. So to literally have the same media who's just like, no, we're not going to talk about Maui. Oh, but three people were shot in Florida. Are you shitting me right now? I am not. (laughs) That's insane. We all can see this, right? Yeah. And you know... It is very egregious. And we're going into hurricane season. So you know that it's only going to get worse. Well, the thing is with Maui, the death toll... I keep seeing it as 100 dead, 1,000 missing. And this long after the incident, I feel like if you're still missing, you're dead. Yeah, it's not... Here's the problem. Which, and, and the other part is the gov- that, that absolutely, if anyone was an objective journalist, you would be reporting, you would be trying to find out, be like, hey, what is the morgue reporting? What is this reporting? There should be an updated death count by now, and the fact that there isn't seems suspicious to me. The problem but, is... Uh, and- a lot of the information we he- I keep hearing about what happened during this fire seems like it points to gross negligence and mismanagement of the government of Maui during this event, which made it into a catastrophe. Yeah. It's like we talked last week about how this diversity and equity guy held up the flow of water to fight the fires. (laughs) Yeah, you've got to check with the taro plantation. Yeah, the indigenous taro farm before we allow you to fight the fires with the water. That's That's burning people alive. (laughs) Yeah. We talked about that. We talked about how the emergency management guy didn't turn on the sirens to wake people up and alert them to what was going on, to alert them that they need to evacuate. Yeah. Uh, We have been, I have seen a lot of discussion about how the police were blockading roads and controlling traffic, which ended up seemingly drastically exacerbating the death toll. The, The constant refrain I've heard from first-hand sources in Maui is the people who disobeyed orders 
are the ones who survived. Yep. Yep. I've seen video that people took on their phones of here we are coming up on another police barricade. There's tons of traffic. The police are telling us to turn back, but back that way is only fire. So I'm taking the minivan off road and we're getting the hell out of here. And again, maybe a, there's a lot of people that want to allege malice that this was an intentionally that this fire was intentionally done to depopulate the area, destroy all these buildings so it can be taken over by billionaire developers. I don't know about that, but I do I'm know. Not, that I'm not willing like, to say no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anymore, I'm not willing to say no that that's impossible. But at the same time, at minimum, there is a at minimum there was absolute and clear negligence and incompetence on the people in charge of Maui. And I know that since they're all Democrats, they and they will do everything they can to deflect any and all criticism and ensure that as few people as possible know about this event. It not it odd to you that there's no outrage? Like, possibly hundreds of people are dead mm-hmm. in a way that was probably preventable. Right. It's the one of the worst disasters that's hit in as far as death toll in, in the United States in a while. There's no outrage. There's no hashtags on social people, media. People aren't changing their profile pictures to the Hawaiian state flag. You even had oppressed people of color, victims of colonialism, dying in this fire, and the left isn't isn't ca- trying to capitalize on it for for gain, except for uh, they, to talk about climate change, which had nothing to yeah, do with it. Except to talk about climate change, mm-hmm. it it tells me that there is something rotten going on here. Even if it even if it is simply how it's being used to push political messaging or trying to, or being hidden so that it doesn't distract from the great job Joe Biden's doing. Yeah, well, There's something that stinks it, about the whole Maui thing, and I don't like it. Yeah, the the easiest answer is 100% that you can't criticize dear leader. Like, Joe Biden is an absolute shit show. And the media signed on to him 110% and then helped, like, literally helped lie to the American people about this guy just specifically to beat Donald Trump and screwed the United States. Like, think about it for a second. Like, Things went to shit because of Joe Biden and the media is 100% complicit in it. So they have, they own all of it. So yeah, they have to, they have to lie their asses off because they're entirely responsible for dumb shit like this. It's all their fault. They lied to the American people. They suppressed information from the voting public willingly and knowingly suppressed information and now we have an absolutely corrupt potentially mentally compromised and in other ways like financially compromised um individual sitting in the white house and the media was like oh shit we did this to us and you did and you should be punished in so many ways some of you should probably be locked in a basement you know, in a dark cellar somewhere for the rest of your lives for the kind of things you did to the United States. And now you're going to lie about it and you're going to act like we don't see you lying. But we do. And by the way, you will absolutely, especially with stuff like what's happening in Maui, you're going, well, we're already seeing it. So I don't want to pretend like, um, I I don't want to pretend like I'm misleading is 
there is now a renewed effort for the left to try to regain control of social media because Elon Musk purchasing Twitter has been a disaster for the Democrats. This Maui fire would just be something sad and you would never hear any of the bad shit if there, if Elon Musk didn't own Twitter, you wouldn't hear shit about any of this horrific stuff that, that Alan just talked about. But you do, which is exactly why the Department of Homeland Security just released a report claiming that the Russian FSB is trying to is is running this massive propaganda campaign where they're getting Russian citizens to befriend some American influencers and then they're going to start feeding them information that then these American influencers are going to run with and then those American influencers are actually being fed Russian propaganda from Moscow. Do you want to know why yeah. they're doing that, Alan? Why are they doing that? It makes it to where any source within Russia can't be trusted right any not any source that doesn't come from the u.s government can't be trusted yeah or has to be gets the qualifier of non-vetted information which mm -hmm. means it then is subject to um essentially criticism of well it's probably misinformation it can now be deleted off of social media it can now be suppressed and censored because it is quote misinformation from a foreign government yeah, is this information that you just got on the Ukraine war true? Or is it possible that the Russian FSB got a Russian person to then tell this other person who then told you, we can't prove that that didn't happen? Yeah. Because, by yeah. the way, Russia absolutely posted stories about the Maui wildfire because, of course, they did. It was international news. And the left already ran with that to places like Facebook and Instagram and said, look at the stuff Russia's putting out. They're, they're putting out propaganda about how bad the the uh, Maui the, the Maui disaster response was. Obviously, it's propaganda. It's like, but, yeah. but the response was bad. They're like, well, no, I mean, Russia's saying it, so that's probably a lie. Right, and in response, the total state, the, the, the total state that controls the United States... Because Twitter is owned by Elon Musk and he has essentially made it a goal of just not having political bias on the site, which essentially hilariously cuts off the government's efforts to influence social media, which we know the FBI was doing through uses of bot networks in mm -hmm. collusion with Twitter, um, with uh, Twitter programmers. They were basically colluding together to push messages so covertly uh, out on social media, Elon Musk put a stop to all of that. And guess what? Oh, suddenly the U.S. Department of Justice is suing Elon Musk's company SpaceX for discriminating against hiring asylum seekers and refugees. I am so excited for that to go to the Supreme Court. Oh, my God. Right. I'm so excited. So the Justice Department uh, last week filed a lawsuit against Space Exploration Technologies, SpaceX, for discriminating against asylees and refugees in hiring. The lawsuit the alleges that SpaceX routinely discouraged asylees and refugees from applying and refused to hire them because their citizenship status in violation of the Immigration and Nationalities Act. In job postings and public statements over several years, SpaceX wrongly claimed 
that under federal regulations known as export control laws, SpaceX would only hire U.S. citizens and lawful permanent residents. <laughs> export control laws impose no such restrictions, according to the Department of Justice. Wait. So SpaceX was saying we because the U.S. has export control laws to prevent uh, sensitive U.S. technologies from being stolen by other countries, SpaceX was saying, well, because we are subject to these laws, we're not going to hire anyone who isn't a U.S. citizen or a green or a uh, lawful permanent resident like a green card holder. The Justice Department is saying, but you weren't accepting refugees and asylum seekers. That's that's a violation of the Immigration and Nationality Act. Wait a minute. That doesn't it's, make any yeah. sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. But this is exactly what they're trying to do. It's a, <laughs> basically a frivolous lawsuit designed to punish SpaceX because SpaceX is owned by Elon Musk. And they, the state wants to punish Elon Musk for removing their ability to influence public opinion via Twitter. So so real real quick, I mean, obviously, but you, you've already laid yeah. out that this is just bullshit, right? But, but hold on mm -hmm. a second. So just think about this. Number one, I've seen plenty of job postings that say you must be a U.S. citizen. So yes. immediately I was like, this is stupid. I don't understand. But number, yeah. well, and, and I'll, I'll get to a point on that in a second. Uh, number two, SpaceX? regularly helps launch military assets into space That's you true. would be retarded like yeah. oh you're not letting in refugees and asylees you know like this you know this young chinese man over here named holy shit um you know he really needs a job and then all of a sudden they go oh fuck somehow china has all of our satellite information how could this have happened well, that recently happened uh, with the Navy. There was a, the, the Navy was was giving top secret clearances to people that were previously Chinese nationals because the Biden joined, administration reduced right. the uh, re reduced the uh, uh, requirements specifically yeah. because of diversity. Right, and so the, the United States military has a standing policy of accepting people. Um, if you join the U.S. military, if you're an immigrant, you can join the U.S. Um, military, serve in the U.S. military, and through that, you it's a pathway to citizenship. Yes. I met a, a, a number of people in the military that had done this exact same thing, uh, including actually a guy from China who was a, um, what was it, air conditioning repair technician. Oh, yeah. Who was like, yeah, I, he had like some actually degree even. He's like, oh, yeah, this is. <laughs> yeah, he was like an program, engineer, I I'm, think, or something. Yeah, like through this program, I'm getting American citizenship. <laughs> and when I get a citizenship, I can bring my wife over from China and we can start a new life in America. He was a very nice. Well, man. yeah. Uh, in August 3rd, two U.S. Navy sailors had been arrested for charges relating to spying for China. Basically, they were passing along national defense information to Chinese intelligence officials in, in return for cash payments. Because saying some guy who's a former Chinese national, he should be able to get a top secret clearance just like any other red-blooded American because we don't see race. Well, because really, we feel diversity is our strength. You see, you're, you're already upsetting me, Alan, because I don't know if you know this, uh, that Chinese national was actually more American than most Americans. Exactly. More American than most Americans. Mm -hmm. In fact, 
most Americans probably are at risk for white supremacy and white nationalism, which is are the biggest threats to U.S. national security. That's true. In fact, it'd be irresponsible for the Biden, <laughs> Biden White House to not put foreigners in charge of national security because every other regular American could be a white supremacist terrorist. At least he wasn't racist. <laughs> At least he wasn't racist. And yes, hopefully that, put he's that on the trans. tombstone of America. That's the tombstone <laughs> of America right there. The epitaph of America of at least they weren't racist. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like that. Uh, there's that picture of like, can you can you imagine if it were a Democrat? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, at least exactly. they weren't yeah, racist. On the tombstone. <laughs> that's 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 great. We should um, maybe we should make a T-shirt or something with that on it. That would be pretty good. Oh man, um, we are coming up kind of on the end. We're already we're already hitting fourteen hundred, but we did start a little bit late. Um, <clears throat> there there is something I do want to cover a little bit because it it's it's weird and it's stupid, and that was the uh, the head of Wagner Group, uh, purportedly, yeah. and so, purportedly to include. I'm hearing that uh, DNA evidence has confirmed which. Is weird that you have to say that. Um, <laughs> that the head of the Wagner Group, whose last name I, for the life of me, can't. I think you can. You know it. Um, like Progzorin. Progzorin. Something. We'll go with so. that. Don't quote me on that. Um, yeah, he was killed in a plane crash. And by plane crash, I mean I saw flaming and smoking debris coming out of the sky. <laughs> it certainly seems like he was... That this was not just a run-of-the-mill happens mostly a guy who perpetrated a um, quasi-coup against Putin dies in a mysterious plane crash exactly two months later yeah I mean you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to feel like there might be a little more to that story yeah no yeah that's it's weird though and I don't know how to feel about it because like if Putin were to kill the guy, and I understand there, there's absolutely some arguments on the idea of it being politically untenable and all this other stuff, but it's like sure. the guy tried to foment a coup in Russia, supposedly. If Putin wanted to kill the guy, he would have just did it then. It makes maybe. perfect sense. Maybe. I mean, yeah, no, no. I, I, he also is head of Wagner Group. Right. And maybe you'd be like, if we just kill this guy, we now have at. We now have a whole bunch of his loyal, potentially loyal mercenaries that are heavily armed that now might have a big grudge and feel that they're next. So I could see how you'd be like, let's let him get away with his little coup. Mm-hmm. Let, we're going to come to some, quote, agreement. The, as, as a result of that coup, a lot of the Wagner uh, militia was essentially disbanded and folded into the... Um, official russian military of defense ministry of defense right and now all those guys are been for a couple months have been dispersed throughout the uh russian military and now don't aren't a cohesive group with military force yeah they're essentially they've been essentially defanged as a um individual threat Hmm. and so now you could kill the guy and it's like well what the wagner group former wagner guys might be upset but they might go well, I, I'm, I used to be in, like, an armored battalion with my buddy where we had tanks and all this stuff, and now I'm basically just a Russian infantryman surrounded by non-Wagner guys. I can't foment any sort of rebellion now. Yeah, 
no, Initially, that's, mm-hmm. I think, in my own conspiratorial way, I think that they faked his death because the guy was a staunch Putin ally for a long time. The whole coup thing was really weird and didn't really accomplish much. And I think he and Putin are both in on it. And I think he was like, the deal is we fake your death. You change your name and go into hiding forever. But I don't actually kill you because you will have served your purpose mm-hmm. to me in Russia. That, I don't know, have anything to really back that up other than a hunch. Mm-hmm. But I think, that, I think that he and Putin have been in cahoots this whole time. No, and it makes sense because you were you were you were saying the same thing when the coup happened. You were like, "This doesn't. No, this makes no sense. This makes zero sense at all. Right. Something right. weird's happening." And so I I totally get it. I saw one of the dumbest things, which was, <laughs> so it was a post from the Ukrainian military, mm. but I want to remind everybody of something. There's something very 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 important that people okay. need to think about. What's that? When you are seeing posts, especially when they come out of Ukraine, if it is in English, mm-hmm. then you are the target audience. If it's in Ukrainian yeah. or Russian, then you know the target audience. If you can read the post without translating it, that means that it is propaganda focused yeah. on the it West. Is, it is made for Western consumption. Yes. And so I saw a post coming from um being pushed around especially by all the nafo losers and then obviously other people which was basically if you were in the wagner group and you and you quote you hadn't committed any war crimes come and join our efforts against russia and it's like how absolutely sad is shit going for ukraine that they are having to beg former russian mercenaries (laughs) to come and join them because I don't know about you, but um, there there have been a lot of things coming out. There have been a lot of discussions and supposedly some on the ground reporting that it's just it is not going well for Ukraine. There was supposed to be this big counteroffensive, and it seemingly went absolutely nowhere. I hear a lot of people go tell that to the people of Kyrgyzstan, and it's like nothing substantial has happened for months in Kyrgyzstan. You haven't done anything. There hasn't been a big victory for Ukraine, but all the NAFO types and all these other people that just like still kind of get some sort of weird orgasmic pleasure out of Ukraine are convincing us that any day now, any day now, Russia's going to totes lose guys any day now. Yeah. But it hasn't happened. From what what I've seen, there is this big, a push for counteroffensive, and it all the video I've seen, which it's hard to know the veracity of how much of this, but every single time what I've seen is Western tanks and armored personnel carriers driving into minefields and getting obliterated by artillery. Yeah. And it seems like the Russians basically took whatever line their troops were on, especially in the south, and said, okay, well, uh, we've captured as much of Ukraine as we really want to capture for now. We're going to hunker down. We're going to build extensive fortifications in layers and rows of, you know, essentially defense in depth of minefields and defensive works and mobile quick reaction groups behind. And we're just going to sit here and we're just going to let the Ukrainians throw all of their fancy weapons and equipment at us as we just continue to pummel them with long range, smart uh, guided weapons fire. 
Like, we're just going to keep cruise missileing everything of value in Ukraine. We're going to let their military ineffectively throw themselves at a force they have no hope in overcoming. And that's all we need to do because all we're doing, because I think Russia's focus has shifted to we can just sit here and bleed the West dry of money and weaponry and for, with relatively very little investment of our own. Because it's, I don't, I forget what the calculus is, but it's something like if you were to attack a position, you need something like a four to one advantage. Um, in military strength, like all the military studies show, it's like you need something like a four to one advantage over the defenders in terms of like force applied to to attack. And Ukraine can't muster that, especially if you're trying to attack over minefields and all these other things. It's like there's no way Ukraine just doesn't have the, the mass needed to punch through in any substantial way and then hold those gains. Mm hmm. And so it's to Russia's advantage to just sit there like Ukraine gets weaker by the day. The West is depleting its resources that it's that it can't conceivably recoup. Like we we don't have enough factories building artillery shells to last Ukraine more than this year. And that's depleting all of our own military stockpiles of artillery shells. How many Javelin missiles do you think are built every month new from the factory versus are expended in Ukraine. Uh, it's not a favorable advantage. Soon the West is going to be essentially out of armaments mm -hmm. and Russia will be sitting there going, okay, great. Even if Russia depletes all of its uh, highest in weaponry, they still have enough regular dumb weaponry to just be like, okay, great. Now the tanks are just going to roll towards Kiev and they're like, there's no Patriot missiles left. You've expended every javelin. There's no like fancy anti-tank rockets left we can shoot down however many f-16s you fly in here and with just dumb artillery shells tanks and stuff basically with 1980s technology it's fine because all the fancy modern magic tech just can't be applied in enough numbers to make a difference so i think russia's just waiting they're just sitting there waiting for all the u.s the west to exhaust itself yeah and need I remind everybody that we're heading into September, which mm. is going to start the fall, and it's going to move Lovely. into winter. Ooh. And winter in Ukraine, like, if they haven't accomplished anything, that's it, man. <laughs> I mean, let's just say Western armies in Ukraine in the winter have not um, defeated the Russian armies in Ukraine in the winter. People don't beat Russia in the winter. Yeah. Like Simple as even that. Even if Russia can't advance very well, because winter is hard for both sides, Russia still is... You can't defeat Russia in the winter, even if you can... But all you can do is stall their offensives. And if you're already stalling their offensives, like if, they're, if, if already you can't take Russian positions... When winter hits, you're going to be at an even greater disadvantage, and there's going to be absolutely no hope of pushing the Russians out of territory they've already captured. Yep. And then it will take, and then in the spring, when everything thaws, the ground becomes a morass of mud. Yep. So you have to wait until probably next summer before the conditions in Ukraine will be conducive enough to making any kind of offensive. This is why it was supposed to be a spring offensive. Right as the ground starts becoming solid after the crazy mud fest of early spring, 
that's when you go on the offensive, and then you have all summer to do an offensive. Ukrainians couldn't do it. It stalled out. It, it, instead of the spring offensive, it became the summer offensive. Instead of the summer offensive, it's now becoming the fall offensive. And, and you just don't have the time to have an offensive making substantial gains before winter hits. And so anyone that thinks Ukraine's going to push the Russians out of Ukraine